Good evening. We are glad that you're here tonight. Thank you for being here. Appreciate so much your presence. We are looking tonight at the life of John the Baptist, and so we'll invite you to study along with us in our study this evening. I want to say very quickly how much I appreciate Jared preaching in my absence this morning, and I heard that he did an outstanding job, and for that I'm very grateful. I knew he would do a great job, as always. We're thankful for the singing that was led by Danton, the prayer that was offered for the scripture reading tonight. And as we look at our study tonight, I want to just very quickly say to those of you who are visiting, thank you for coming our way. We appreciate so much you being here. If you have the opportunity, please come back. We'd love to have you. If you're looking for a church home, we always want you to know that we'd love to have you as a part of the work here. And uh, tonight, before services, we had our monthly song leading class. I wasn't in the class, but I was able to listen in. And uh, I told Jay Topkin a little bit earlier, I said, you know, we've made a preacher out of him. And it seems like we've made a song leader out of him too. But we appreciate all the men that are leading the devotional thoughts on Wednesday night. What a great job they have done and will continue to do. Thank you for your participation in that. All right, tonight we're going to be talking about the life of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was probably one of the more interesting studies that we might undertake as we go back and look at some of the great characters of Almighty God. John the Baptist, as you well know, was a very rough and rugged individual. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that his clothing, that he was clothed in camel's hair, and wore a leather girdle around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. John the Baptist was unflinching as a messenger of Almighty God. And uh, he was the kind of man who was very forthright in his denunciation of error, a strong proclaimer of the coming of the kingdom of God. And as you look at his life, I think about the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, in about verse 11. Jesus said to the people of his day that among those born of women, there has not one risen greater than John the Baptist. In that same context, you remember, he said that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Elijah was one of the great prophets of God in the Old Testament era. So tonight, I want to begin, first of all, by talking about the prophecies as they relate to John the Baptist. I want to go back and call attention to Isaiah chapter 40. You remember in Isaiah chapter 40, in the book of Isaiah, is very messianic in its import. And the prophet there, writing about seven centuries before the coming of the Messiah or the Christ, Isaiah very graphic in his annunciation of the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God. In chapter 7, he would say that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. In chapter 9, he would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then in chapter 53, he is described as the Suffering Servant. In chapter 40, Isaiah points some seven centuries down in time to the coming of the one who would prepare the hearts and minds of people to receive the Christ, or as we would say, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And so listen now to what the prophet Isaiah had to say concerning the coming 
of the one that we know as John the Baptist. Beginning in verse 3, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Again, bearing in mind that this is some 750 years prior to the coming of the Messiah. And then turn over to the book of Malachi. And look at Malachi chapter 3. Malachi, of course, is the last of the writing prophets. The time would have been about 400 or so years before the coming or the advent of the Christ. And Malachi, before closing his inspired record, points to the coming of John the Baptist. And he identifies him as the Elijah to come in chapter 4. But look at chapter 3. In chapter 3, listen to what Malachi the prophet said in the long ago. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Again, talking about John the Baptist, the fact that he would be the one who would point people in the direction of the Christ. And that's affirmed in the gospel narratives. And then in verse 1, he goes on to say, And the Lord whom you seek will, su will suddenly come to his temple. Now look at verse, the latter part of the verse. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight... Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, the messenger of the covenant would have been a reference to the Christ, the Son of God. And by the way, you remember in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus talked about the establishment of the new covenant. The means by which that new covenant would be enacted would be his blood, the shedding of his blood. And so we have the institution of the Lord's Supper, his observance of the Passover feast with his apostles. Now, note if you would chapter 4. In chapter 4, in verse 5, Malachi writes, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Elijah, probably one of the most well-known of the prophets of his era. And probably the thing that stands out the greatest in our mind would have to do with his showdown with King Ahab on Mount Carmel. You remember 450 prophets of Baal were put to death. And then the wife of Ahab, Jezebel, wanted him put to death. Did everything within her power to put him to death. And so Elijah had to flee, became despondent, wanted to die. And God reminded him that he still had 7,000 in Israel that had not bowed the knee to Baal. And then in verse 6, Malachi said, talking about the work of John the Baptist. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. This is quoted in Luke chapter 1. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So you have two passages, or really three passages of Scripture, that talk about the coming of the forerunner, that is, John the Baptist. We don't read anything about him until we pick up in Matthew chapter 3. And in chapter 3, the passage that Brother Zach read a moment ago, Matthew picks up with the preaching and teaching of John the Baptist in the wilderness of Judea, the southern portion of the Jordan River. 
And so I want to now maybe change gears for a minute and talk about the purpose. Let's just specifically talk for a moment or two about the purpose of John the Baptist. I mentioned a moment ago that John the Baptist, his purpose was spelled out in the Scriptures. He was to be the forerunner. But you remember his birth was miraculous in nature, wasn't it? According to Luke chapter 1, his parents were Elizabeth and Zechariah. And the Bible tells us, matter of fact, the Bible speaks of them in a very positive way in Luke chapter 1. They were both blameless before the Lord. Matter of fact, the Bible says they were righteous before God. And they walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. And so these two individuals, they were a part of the priestly tribe. Zechariah coming forth from the lineage of Abijah and Elizabeth from Aaron's seed. So in Luke chapter 1, turn if you would to the book of Luke and note chapter 1 for a minute. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah while he was in the temple burning incense, which was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for those who served in the priesthood. And he announced to him that he and Elizabeth, both were older in years, that they would have a child. And you remember the Bible tells us that Zechariah was unable to speak for a period of time. But drop down and note, if you would, in the latter part of the chapter following well, we have, note if you would, down in verse 46. In chapter 1, listen to what is said in chapter 1, down in verse, well, pick up if you would in verse 67. The Bible says that Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, and said in the long ago, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham, and then he goes on to say, verse 74, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now, listen to what he has to say with reference to John the Baptist, his child or his son. He said, and you, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. And so here is a prophetic statement regarding the work of His Son, and we know Him as John the Baptist. Now, some have said that John the Baptist began his ministry somewhere around a year, year and a half prior to the ministry of Jesus beginning. But nonetheless, look now at John chapter 1. I mentioned a moment ago the purpose of his work. In John chapter 1, John, of course, introduces us to the Word, the eternal Logos, the one who has always existed. And in chapter 1, 
John the Apostle zeroes in on the forerunner of the Christ, accentuating his purpose. Note, if you would, down in verse 6. He said, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, note, if you would, what he had to say there. That John was sent from God. In other words, he had a heaven-sent mission, didn't he? God had an exact purpose for His coming to planet earth, and that was to prepare the hearts and minds of the children of Israel to receive the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. He said, this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. He was not that light, but came to bear witness of the light, talking about Jesus. Now, Jesus identified Himself as the light of the world in John chapter 8, at verse 12. But in this context... John the Apostle tells us that John the Baptist, that he had a God-ordained work, and that was he was, to pair, he was to prepare the hearts and the minds of people to be receptive to the Christ. So that being said, you remember down in verse 19. Then in verse 19, the Bible tells us that the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem, and they wanted to know from John, who are you? They wanted to know his identity. So the Bible says he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ, I'm not the anointed one. And they said, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? You remember Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18 talked about that prophet whom God would raise up. That was a reference to the Christ to come. So they asked, are you the prophet? He said, no. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And then note now how he goes back and takes what Isaiah said concerning him and makes application to his own life. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make stray the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Those who, who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John responded by saying, I baptize you with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me, talking about the Christ. And the one, he said, who is coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. Look now, verse 29. In verse 29, the following day, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming from afar. And here's what he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John recognized that the Messiah to come would be the antitype of that Passover Lamb that we read about all the way back in the book of Exodus chapter 12 that he would vicariously suffer, bleed, and die for the sins of the human family, that it would be through him that sin might be dealt with effectively. And so, in verse 30, This is he whom I said after me comes a man who is preferred before me. Now listen to what he says. For he was before me, a reference now to the eternal nature of the second member of the Godhead, the Christ. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained upon him. I did not know him, but he, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending 
and remaining on Him, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Let me just pause here for a minute. Two times in this context, John the Baptist said concerning the Messiah, I didn't know Him. Well, how do you reconcile that with the fact that He is the forerunner to the Christ and that He had a heaven-sent mission? I think that when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by John, and when the Spirit descended like a dove in bodily form and remained on the Lord, you remember what God the Father said from heaven? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So from an absolute standpoint, when that event occurred, John was convinced, he had proof positive, that this is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so here's what he said, verse 34, And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. In verse 35, again, the following day, we talk about the purpose of John the Baptist. And his purpose was, he was to again point people to Jesus. And so the Bible says that John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked by, said, Behold the Lamb of God. Verse 37 reveals a very interesting statement about the disciples of John. The Apostle John records these words. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. What then was the purpose of John the Baptist? It wasn't to cultivate a following for himself. He did have a God-ordained mission. He had a God-ordained message, didn't he? But his, his work, his primary work, was to point people in the direction of the Christ. And you talk about a compliment to any preacher. Every preacher who's worth his salt, not interested in cultivating a following of men. But rather the goal is to point people in the direction of Jesus, the Son of God. Preachers, just like every other member, are fallible people. And too many times people put their confidence in people rather than in the Lord. And so if something happens to maybe their favorite preacher or somebody that they look up to, if something happens to them spiritually speaking, then their faith falters. Well, John the Baptist was interested in pointing people in the direction of the Christ, the Son of God. So, that having been said, look now at John chapter 3, verse 30. In verse 30, here's what John said about the ministry of Christ and his own work. John said, He must increase, but I must decrease. It wasn't about, again, cultivating a following for himself, but rather John's efforts were all about exalting Jesus as the Son of the living God. And you think about, here is a man that definitively declared in the presence of people that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. Having said that, let's now look at chapter 3 of the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 3, bear in mind that following the preaching and teaching of Daniel in the long ago. You remember Daniel, the great prophet of God, in Daniel chapter 2, foretold of a kingdom that would be established in the days of the Roman kings. And so Daniel is foretelling of the coming of a kingdom. Isaiah, we mentioned Isaiah a minute ago in chapter 2 of his book, talked about 
the church as an exalted mountain into which all nations would flow and how the word of the Lord would go forth from Jerusalem. That would be the originating point of the church of the living God. And so Daniel talks about this coming kingdom, this eternal kingdom. He said that kingdom will never be destroyed. So in Matthew chapter 3, out of nowhere, so to speak, John the Baptist comes on the scene. And we read about the preaching of this great man. John begins preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And that would have been a very rough, intimidating uh, portion of land, a uh, very rocky place. And so here is John the Baptist preaching and teaching about the Christ. And listen to what the text has to say. This is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the idea was to remove any obstacles from the hearts and minds of the people so that they might be open and receptive to the Christ. Verse 4 tells us that he was clothed in camel's hair. Whether, whether he wore camel's skin or whether his garments were taken from a camel, don't really know. But I would have imagined that it would have been a very rough, coarse type of material. He lived a very ecstatic type of life. Matter of fact, you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said that John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking. Some said that he had a demon. And the reference there, when Jesus made that statement, the idea was that John the Baptist was not, he wasn't a socializer, he wasn't a party-goer, but rather he lived a very rough and aesthetic life. So with that in mind, listen to what the text says. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all those around the region of the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now Mark tells us that the baptism of John was for the remission of sins. That's important to remember. When we talk about the message of John the Baptist, to understand that John the Baptist was preaching about King Jesus and the kingdom that he would establish. In the first century, the disciples of Christ and those that were looking for the Messiah, what kind of kingdom were they thinking about? What kind of kingdom were they looking for? Well, they were looking for a material kingdom, weren't they? They had in mind that Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, and that He would be the one who would alleviate the oppression, the yoke of the Roman people, that He would liberate them from Roman bondage. So they had in mind a very different type of Messiah. The kingdom that John the Baptist was pointing to was spiritual in nature. It was the very same kingdom that Daniel foretold of back in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel, you remember, talked about four world empires beginning with Babylon, culminating with the Roman kings and the establishment of God's kingdom, that spiritual entity. In Acts chapter 1, following the resurrection of the Christ and His ascension to heaven, the apostles, again, they were... They were still in the dark, so to speak, about the kingdom. They asked the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They didn't understand the significance of the spiritual nature 
of the kingdom of God. And so here is John the Baptist. He's exalting Jesus as king. And he's announcing the fact that the kingdom of God is coming. The prerequisite to being receptive to this kingdom was number one, repentance. Look at the life of John the Baptist. Some would say he lived an austere life. That he lived an aesthetic life. Wasn't living a life of luxury and ease like the affluent Jews of his day. Didn't live a very opulent life. But rather, here was a man that was rugged and spent a lot of time outdoors. A very tough individual. And so, the message that he preached was a very important message. I mentioned a moment ago that his baptism was for the remission of sins. Now, in Matthew chapter 3, we have Jesus, the Son of God, coming to John and requesting to be baptized by him. And you remember what John said in the long ago? I have need to be baptized of you, and you're coming to me? And Jesus responded by saying that his baptism would be to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness takes us back to the commands of God in Psalm 119. And I would take it to mean that the Son of God wanted to live in perfect obedience to the Father. Matter of fact, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 40, David in the long ago foretold of the coming of the Christ. And you remember he penned these words, and they're quoted by the Hebrew writer in chapter 10. He said, I come to do your will, O God. That was the thrust of Christ coming to earth, wasn't it? To fulfill the will of Almighty God. Wasn't it Jesus who said in the shout of the cross, I've glorified you on the earth, I've finished the work which you've given me to do. So John is preaching a baptism of repentance unto the remission of sins. And with that in mind, look now at the messenger. His boldness. Not only was he bold, he was very brave. The text says in verse 7, when he saw many of the Sadducees and Pharisees coming to him, the Pharisees, the word itself means to be separated. The Sadducees, the root of that word, means to be righteous. And these were the religious leaders of that day and time. The Sadducees were many of the aristocrats of that day. They comprised the Sanhedrin Council in bulk. And so the Sadducees and the Pharisees come to John. And here's what John said to them, brood of vipers. That's tough language, isn't it? To call them a bunch of snakes? And he asked them, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Repentance simply being a change of mind, a change of heart demonstrated by a change in our actions. Many of the Jews, they thought because they were Abraham's seed and because they had that lineage in their blood that they were A-OK. They didn't need a Messiah. They didn't need the Christ. They had the law. They thought the law in and of itself was good enough for them. Well, here's what John said. Do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. He said, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Himself from these stones. There may have been some pebbles lying around on the ground when He spoke these words. 
And then in verse 10, he points to the immediacy of the judgment that will befall the Jewish nation in A.D. 70. He said, even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. In A.D. 70, God rendered terminal judgment on the Jewish people, didn't He? He destroyed both the city and the temple. All of their records, all of their genealogies lost forever. Not a Jew today that can trace his descent back to one of the, tra- one of the 12 tribes. And that being the case, there would be no viable scriptural priesthood, would there? Because you had to be from the tribe of Levi. No one could prove his lineage. And so John said, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire, talking about a greater judgment to come. And the Jews to whom Jesus, or rather the Jews to whom John the Baptist preached in the first century, over in Luke's account of the gospel narrative, many of those religious leaders rejected the preaching and teaching of John the Baptist. They rejected the counsel of God and His command to be baptized. When Jesus died on Calvary, those who were receptive to the teaching and preaching of John the Baptist, who through faith responded in penitence and were baptized for the remission of their sins, when Pentecost Day occurred, as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 2. I believe that those people became a part of God's kingdom. John's pointing to the coming of the kingdom of God. He's setting forth the terms wherein they could enjoy the remission of their sins. Their sins would have been forgiven in anticipation of the coming of the Christ. When the Christ came, His blood cleansed them from all sin. So when Pentecost occurred, as I mentioned a moment ago in Acts chapter 2, recorded by Luke. And Peter and the apostles began preaching and teaching the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. They emphasized His coronation, that He was now seated upon the throne of David. And from that throne, He now welds all authority. He is governing His body or His kingdom. And the Bible says, down in verse 41, some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on that day and were added to them. I think the reference there is to those who had responded favorably to the preaching and teaching of John the Baptist. So John, he was a great messenger, and he had a great message. And that message was one of hope. The message was Christ is coming, and He is the Savior of the world. I like what John records. When John saw Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Without Jesus, we'd be lost and dying in sin, wouldn't we? There would be no hope. And yet, in Christ and through Christ, we have the hope of life eternal. John was a unique individual, a very bold and brave man, as I mentioned a moment ago. The Bible tells us that he was put to death at the request of Herod, Herod Antipas' wife, Herodias. The story is that Herod had been traveling to Rome, and on his way he stopped to visit his brother Philip. And while he was visiting with his brother Philip, 
he became smitten with Philip's wife. And so the rest is history. He took her to be his quote-unquote wife. And remember what John said to Herod? He said, it's not lawful for you to have her. Matter of fact, turn if you would. I want you to see something in connection. I mentioned the fact that he was a bold and brave messenger. Look over in the book of Luke for a minute. And look, if you would, at Luke chapter 3, verse 19. And listen to what is said about John the Baptist. Herod the Tetrarch. Herod was the son of Herod the Great. And you remember Herod the Great was the one that tried to exterminate Jesus and did exterminate many of the babies when the Lord was born. So look at verse 19. Herod the Tetrarch being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, and this has to do with their unlawful marriage, his brother Philip's wife, and then note this sidebar, and for all the evils which Herod had done. Imagine if you can, standing before a public official, a man who wields great authority, and you're rebuking him for his ungodly lifestyle. That's the kind of man we're talking about. Fearless, faithful, true to God. We need that kind of preaching and teaching today. Individuals who are fearless and faithful to Almighty God. As the Apostle Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. If you go back and you look at Elijah the prophet and you think about how John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. It's easy to understand why some would have associated him with that great prophet. Elijah was not the kind of guy that would back down, wasn't one who would compromise or make concessions. And he stood face to face and toe to toe with King Ahab. You remember Ahab accused him of being a troubler of Israel. And Elijah the prophet said, not so, you're the one who troubles Israel. And so, fearless and faithful, that was John the Baptist. John died at an early age, but his life, as was said of Abel in the long ago, he being dead yet speaks. I appreciate so much the opportunity to look at some of the great characters of God. Many of those characters we can identify with, we can empathize with, we can learn from. So you look back and you think about John the Baptist and what a tribute. What an awesome opportunity and privilege he enjoyed. To think that he had the, that he had the opportunity to go before Jesus and to point people in the direction of the Christ. I can just imagine him standing before the Lord one day and hearing the Lord say to him, Well done. Well done. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, could we encourage you to come to Christ? Would you put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God? Would you be willing to repent of your sins? As Peter said on Pentecost Day in Acts chapter 2. Would you confess before others your faith in Christ as Paul talks about in Romans 10, 9 and 10? Would you be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. To know that every sin can be blotted out, every sin can be forgiven, 
You'll no longer bear the burden of sin and guilt in your life. You can be washed from sin by the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. So, you confess the name of Christ, you're buried with Him in baptism, God puts you in the kingdom, and you become a part of the saved, don't you? If you're here tonight, maybe your life's not what it ought to be, and maybe you like, well, it might be the case that you need to find your way back to God. Maybe you're back out in the world, and you need to repent. And as John said, you need to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Show you've made a change in your life. If you're here tonight, you need to respond to heaven's invitation. Would you do so as we stand and sing?